this question is addressed to a remark I made about implicit memory. A person is asking how bringing awareness to these can be beneficial in dissolving addictive compulsive patterns as implicit are often unconscious. You know, it's partly, I guess, we normally associate memory as something like a piece of information that we have in our, pops up in our heads. <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, so and so and so. How's that happen? <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? Perception triggers something. Perception, you see a face and perception triggers kind of unfolding of something within the within the chitta recognition and then there's this perhaps a brief scurrying and then oh that's you get the manas faculty comes up with a name so sometimes you get the recognition I know you but can't get the name you know so you half remember right I, I know you but it's dear you know so there's that flash which is the moment of recognition it's called perception uh-huh, get it there's a kind of like a certain intensification it's not just the shape it's ah and then then the, the chitta sends an energy into the manas faculty which shuffles through the list and goes, oh it's so and so and it comes up call that memory that's conscious memory or explicit memory it's got a particular detail to it and it's uh yeah now implicit memory is the body remembers before this manas faculty got going you know this manas faculty is the secretary the organizer that keeps all the notes right jitta is the primary center of being activated or oh, stirred aroused delighted yeah that's psychosomatic when you get it you know you really get it something and your your body gets it right that's psychosomatic so you get the sense of being affected and then you then yeah, conscious memories when that signal can be transferred to the manas faculty which says oh that's Joseph last met him six years ago you know da 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 gives you the, the notes on it now of course this manas faculty isn't always present yeah. uh, and particularly uh, yeah, very early when we're in the womb it's not really there but you can but you can still have strong psychosomatic experiences in the womb of you know your mother's neurochemicals or something she's unhappy you're getting affected and so that's there and sometimes you can you know, can be powerfully affected like not welcome or something like that and of course early years when you don't really have much of this library of of things to refer to you're still getting a sense of you know don't know where I am insecure fearful uh, loved you know attacked or whatever it is so then you get these things which the thinking mind doesn't get it but the chitta knows it's being affected yeah and it's affected so there's that memory you know and what does memory mean in this sense 
what happens for memory, as you can recognise, a certain energy runs, doesn't it? So that energy runs through the psychosomatic domain. Okay? Right? Something lights up. Oh, this energy runs. Which is so useless, we don't really notice it, perhaps. But when you can't remember, you get that, uh, 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 and then bling, and it pops in, and you get this run of energy. Right? <laughs> so that energy can run, but it doesn't actually have any words to it. <laughs> so you just feel, you start to make up words. I think she doesn't like me. She doesn't like me. I've done something wrong. I must have done something wrong. Nothing to do with her. I've got this implicit memory of feeling guilt or inadequate, and now I project it onto her as being the one who's making me feel that way. So you get an implicit memory, then projects, searches for some, which may be completely deluded. And when you get something like trauma, then the problem with trauma is you get a very powerful effect, but you're not able to discharge it. So you get the shock, and it's frozen. Now normally, if there's a shock effect, we get knocked around, we oh, 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 come back and then shake yourself around, where am I, what's going on? Feel what you feel, have cry, shout, whatever, and then you discharge. You discharge this powerful energy just run into your system. And the trauma, that doesn't happen. You know, you don't discharge it, so it stays there. And so then you get this locked-in stuff, which is what trauma's about. Hmm? Then addictive patterns are often attempts to complete something, you know, something that hasn't been completed. Uh, this is like a you kind of what's the word for it? You sublimate you know, into gratification. That will make me feel full. So you, you do it. It's the implicit memory is inadequate, need, not enough, frightened. You know, that's the implicit memory, you know, which may indeed have validity to it. And that's projected, carried on as, well, therefore I will binge or drink or something like that. Some of it's escapist. This will get me out of here. I'm stuck in this situation. This will get knock me out of it. Mm-hmm. And so you have these implicit memories then. Um, <clears throat> we get uh, irrational reflex uh, um, attempts to remedy that. Yeah. And you can't solve it rationally. You can tell yourself, don't do it, even as you're doing it. And you feel bad because you're not in control. Now, okay, that's, so this, this is very patchy. I don't want to go into a whole thing about this. But so, you know, I mean, we all have implicit memories, I'm sure. You know, the sore spots, places where we feel the world around us feels slightly, slightly uncomfortable or we feel a little bit intimidated by others or whatever, whatever, whatever. You know? So these are kind of shadow memories that haven't got a particular name to them. It's just a felt sense. A felt sense is very helpful because you get a felt sense means you get this impression. It's, it's partly in your body, and it's an emotion. It's a sense of feeling kind of shaky, or 
compressed or you know something you know, it doesn't make sense right but that's and you bring your attention to that your awareness to that to that felt sense which is actually the body speaking and it may bring up images impressions it's you know it doesn't have to make sense it's the body speaking in its own way and then your awareness of that how is that what's and you start to open around it and tell me more rather than get over it or understand it or you know tell me more what's what's needed now so you open into that to let the body finish <laughs> what it was trying to say in its own way you know let it say it needs to be completed so this is the way you know uh, very simply speaking you know, I don't think it's anywhere near as simple as this but that, that's, what, that's what I'm talking about and how bringing awareness forget the topic you know I'm addicted to iPhones or gambling or something other or whatever it is you know and get to that what drives the addiction that itchy nervy got to sense where's that where's that where's that happening what's your body feel like in that where's that happening in your in your embodied domain and then can you just can you be with it just like a friend like standing next to it tell me more how is that and you get your awareness around it to um, kind of allow that to be completed and that's uh, I think certainly with a very profound um, you know traumas and addictions you generally need a bit of somebody else to help hold it because essentially if it's particularly if it's very early most of the the self has grown around it <laughs> you know? so it's like like a like a a cyst that the rest of the mind has grown around it doesn't can't can't handle it so you need a bit of support to do that Anything you'd like to add to that, Laura? Following on from what you just said about uh, these layers of conditioning sort of being like a base layer, and I notice in myself they can feel very embedded, very entrenched, and informing the layers that come after in terms of the way the sense of the personality develops around them so I found it's it can it takes like a certain uh, encouragement to meet the frustration in relationship to them or uh, yeah the relationship to a certain sense of intractability and a bit like I was saying earlier about about coming into relationship like not making these places uh, something to be fixed or wrong 
but uh, discovering how to come into uh, connection with them. It's like they sort of, there's a, uh, in the moment, a discovery of the response that's needed that really meets these places as they uh, need to be met. And I, I find myself, it's a very gradual, it's a very gradual process. Thank you. I'm just thinking also, just it's almost like a sense of respectful distance. I think often, I know for myself, very common, when we feel something problematic, we go, right, let's go into that, what's that? You know, and that's often intrusive, not helpful. You know, so imagine that, that problem with another, is a person. Just stand back and we'll find the right distance too close up you can intensify the problem or crowd it remember you can't solve it you can't solve the relationship can but you can't right so you cannot otherwise you'd have done it (laughs) but the relationship can and most of the time we don't know relationships very well because, of course, it can be distant, yeah? And relationship is a variable, but it has to be not fixing, not, I'm, I'm going to understand this, but what, what does this need? And a lot of allowing and, okay, so I'm getting a strange sense of constriction in my chest and I feel sort of a bit shaky. Let's just see what's happening down pelvic region. Let's sit there for a while and see where it feels quite comfortable. Okay, and then begin to draw your attention and awareness up to a suitable distance where, whereby there's a feeling of, of a kind of connection. Like, it, it, aha, but it's quite soft. So the the energy's got room to to move and change and express itself. And that's so the, you know, that kindness. And I think well, when you learn that, you also realize this is really helpful with each other, of course, because certainly you know I think one of my problems is trying to fix people, um, and you wonder why people get annoyed. <laughs> What you need to do, <laughs> rather than just, ah, oh, well, you know, how much do you want? You know, like, so establish the correct relationship, um, and, and uh, it's, it's it's very beautiful, and to to cultivate like that. <clears throat> so I just add that piece to it. When you get these senses, um, you know, it's often guesswork. If you're sort of bit bowed over or a bit hunched and what's that so no it's not backache it's something else <laughs> okay how's it feel where is it what 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 would it look like where's the edges of it does it run down my arms where is it how big is it 
What would you say? Is it rough? Is it hot? Is it cool? How is it? Is it moving? Then you might even get images run into the mind. This is when you really get explore the felt sense. Um, So it becomes almost like an entity in its own right. It's the body's presenting, and you have to learn how to read it rather than translate it into some idea. Okay, so we move on. Can you speak about energy, please? It seems many different words are being used for this one term. And also, is there a history of an energy practice in Theravada? Well, okay, chi and prana is the kind of almost the raw material of energy. Mm. Raw material of embodied energy. Virya, I think, refers to the general overall, not so much of the felt vitality, but the sense of having vigor. I mean, they, they work together, really. Theravada tradition is actually, like many things, is, isn't quite as, as simple as one would imagine. You know, there's many different strands of exoteric and esoteric Buddhism woven through centuries, as you could imagine. And um, so, but what tends to happen is you get an orthodox uh, which tries to <laughs> kind of keep leveling out and standardizing. And Theravada was a lot of it was supported by kings and it became a kind of accessory to the state. So the state likes things nice and orderly and, um, and they're trying to kind of make it fit in, particularly with the Abhidharma presentations, which is much more of an intellectual nature. So what happens, you, so you get kind of diversities, and then what, what generally what happens is a few people creep off into the jungles and start doing stuff. <laughs> like often with mantras and yantras, and you know, they do energy work. It's esoteric, you could say. Whereas in, in, I think in China, it became much more mainstream. Although, again, it was developed by hermits, um, you know, because they're the Taoist. Uh, they easily transferred. It was basically hermits. And the mainstream tends to be much more kind of material, you know, mind is a thing in your body is a thing. Two don't really meet. Um, the other thing I would say, another, another term... It's useful to remember that prana, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with, is the Sanskrit of what in Pali is pana, and that's where we get anapanasati from. So it really means the life force, which is synonymous with the breath. And of course, that's not just in Buddhism. You know, in many other traditions, breath is the breath of life. By and large, People tend to imagine it purely as the material breath, the no air going to nostrils, and so you're focusing on that. But there's no no evidence that that's what's being referred to <laughs> in the suttas. He's talking about, like he says, this is a body within the body, anapana. This breathing body is a body within the body. It's clearly, to my mind, talking about the whole weave and mesh of breath energy as it forms 
a felt body. Uh, and he said, this is very blissful and happy. The other thing to um, tie into this whole topic is Sankara. And sankara is something like formative energy. Uh, and this is, is uh, really, really crucial because the formative energy is formed through distorting influences. So what it means is we get particular energy patterns laid down in the body which come through shock, fear, ignorance, so forth. So the body, the energy body gets kind of shaped by these what are called sankara. And, and so sankara is first of all associated with breathing in and out, but more powerfully associated with chitta sankara, which means the, the formative energy of the heart so, for example, if the heart's in a state of shock, then the energy of the body starts to take that shape. Yeah. Um, and this is a very simple example, but, but essentially all impulses that rise in the heart are sankara, and the sankaras have a formative effect. They start to lay down patterns of emotional behavior that become embodied. <laughs> So we start to get shaped by the formative patterns that energies take. And this is where karma comes in. And sankharas are karma formers because you end up being created in accordance with the impulses that have arisen that you've acted upon. And these impulses aren't necessarily generated internally. They can be generated externally. So if we live in a particularly hyper society we pick up the rhythm and we start doing the same thing and it we get shaped by it yeah uh, and so you know this is where we really need an ally to get us out <laughs> so then one of the allies of course faith the recognition there is a possibility to get out and get out of it, to realize there is a there is a pattern there is a lock there is a grip that you're in, and it's possible to get out of it. You know? and, and then secondary ally is, is energy, which means we both need to apply energy in order to check those impulse energies and soften where they've been embedded and release what needs to be released. So then it's, that's application energy. But of course, as I was saying earlier today, you can only do application energy when you've got the resource energy to carry it out. You need to have some gas in your tank. So in this way, energy is both the energy of just restoring and regenerating and then the energy of applying you know, to these formative patterns. So, so we can check, restrain, soften, discard and, and manage them. So this is a li- called is a liberation, it's like that. I'm just going to reflect back what I think I heard, which is that you're referring to energy both as uh, effort, virya, as sankara, formative, and as um, not quite prana or chi. So you're not really referring to energy as that. Yeah, yeah, all three of them. Oh, but you are referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Energy blanket 
Oh yeah, it covers all of it. I was just going to share a kind of example of how I find it helpful to notice energy. Sometimes labeling things or acknowledging things can be helpful, and sometimes it can be a bit of a barrier to, to meeting the experience. And uh, this is actually something I found quite helpful in the Abhidharma, in the way it describes different mind states. So, with doubt as an example, the Abhidharma describes it as wavering. So, if you notice the mind uh, experiencing doubt, it can often be a sort of negative connotation with doubt. But we can be curious and notice this wavering quality. And then the energy of uh, sati, actually, it explores how to be with that and find the right distance, be connected and autonomous, actually, that they can be both together. So, so being curious, each mind state has its own particular energy, um, positive mind states and afflictive mind states. I'm going to quote you. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully accurately so Arjun Suchita described the energy of doubt like the spirit of free inquiry caught in wanting an answer dear Arjun and Laura I'm starting to experience simple joy and contentment but my mind chatters increasingly like a running commentary saying, oh look how great I, I'm doing going off in fantasy or going off in fantasy. I'm trying to learn to be curious, but is it the right approach? Feels like my ego trying to make the contentment about itself. Ah, uh, so it's sort of two threads response to this question joy like I was saying about different mind states have energy so joy different kinds of joy there are but there's a joy where where the quality of the energy of the joy is quite fluttery quite delicate quite lively and it tends to go up <laughs> And so it's easy to lose ground and and then that fluttery energy goes into the mind and the mind is sort of taken by it and it sort of does this. It's sort of a bit like I was saying yesterday, so what I find helpful is just to notice the energy of it. To shift from the thoughts not try and pull the mind back, but how to meet the energy. So if, you, if I stay in the thoughts, it, it perpetuates the, the kind of dispersing. But just finding and discovering how to sort of make space uh, for the energy without being carried along by the current of it. And so inquiry isn't so helpful. <laughs> it can be more helpful 
So something like I might do might be uh, being curious about the energy, receptive to it, and then notice how does that affect my breathing to be in touch with this energy. So not trying to change the breath, just receiving the experience of the breath. And sometimes that just leads to a sort of natural uh, integration, balancing, coming down. So by just by giving it space, being met, but not captured by it. And also if the mind's chattery, just not making a, not making that wrong. Just, that's just actually normal. That's what it does with joy. But then how to shift from the words to the feeling. And just notice the breath. So doing something quite simple. And then I also find it helpful just to relax my eyes. So maybe just to sit, do something that's sort of steadying, standing or sitting. But just relax my eyes and let them just take in the vista. It's like letting the the well-being and the good feeling come here rather than go out. Be received. And then the sense of self. <laughs> it's, a, it's a kind of conundrum that we, we can subtly have this sense that we want to stop the sense of self, <laughs> like it's a thing. And yet it's, a, it's just a, a constellation that arises. And we can notice it, like there are moments when we're quieter and more settled and still and composed. And the sense of self is naturally quieter as well. It goes together with wanting and not wanting. So the more activated and reactive we are, the stronger the sense of self. And as our wanting mind quietens the sense of self, also diminishes. And because it's related to wanting and not wanting, the sense of self is always uh, in doing mode. So that I did it is <laughs> a very typical narrative. I'm going to do it. I did it in the past. It was <clears throat> me. So we can just see that sense of agency and appropriation and ownership. There's always a subtle contraction in it and a partiality in it. So we can also feel the energy of it almost. And just notice that this is this is what's this is arising. So sometimes when there's an experience of a really strong sense of identity 
uh, I just use the reflection, ah, it's a really strong sense of identity happening in relationship to this feeling right now. Just naming it. Do you want to say more? Well, yeah, I mean, I support what you said, actually, but... Um, yeah, it can be like a, like joy is quite a fiery energy. It's a pleasant, not not a corrosive fire. And fire is adhesive. It means it attracts us to get close to it. And, uh, it feels good, but then we lose balance. We lose sati. We start getting rocked, uh, and then we lose mindful groundedness. So it's just that restraining, like a little bit with the emotional body that we have. Um, you know, you feel these currents running through it. And a sense of, this is a current running through the emotional body rather than a person. And the correct, as you're saying, correct relationship to that. And steadying. And connecting it to the body and the breathing breathing is a natural regulator you know we connect breathing to the emotional body breathing is a regulator the out breath and the open spaces as the breath completes always help us to return to to balance you know? and sometimes the open spaces are ignored or not noticed but the open endings the place where homeostasis where stasis can be reestablished and there's nothing there's nothing no negation there's no you know it's just oh and the joy can ease into something called sukha which is much more contented and the energy of that is wider Whereas joy is quite uh, uh, bright, but it's sort of feels uh, it's a rather narrow channel. And sukha is much more oceanic, contented, and that occurs when we step back and give it more space. It will tend to and use using the body and the breath to um, to manage that relationship. So you can't really relate to an emotion with an emotion, and you can't relate to it with a thought. You can well, if you add, if you relate with emotion, you add another colour to it. Relating to emotion with a thought is pretty pointless, really. Um, <laughs> but just rather than to say that's that, and then you want to refer it to the the embodied energy to find the balance and the where you're can integrate and be it feels stable and maintain sati with that then it's a it's a lovely it's a lovely healthy quality if we we manage it it gladdens it brightens it dispels doubt and gloom it's a lovely quality to be carefully held and it suffuses much wider and deeper if it turns into ease and contentment so that's what I would 
my, my addition to what you commented on. Let's come to the closure of this evening. I hope this is alright, we're just sort of making up as we go along. <laughs> <laughs>